You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. We've got a class of folks to baptize this morning, which is really exciting. Um, but I, I start with some bad news. We're all going to die. Right? Uh, it's a grim reminder. It's something that I kind of sheepishly stand up here and say. It's kind of like yelling fire at, in a group of a crowd of people. Um, it feels like a bad joke. But then after like the initial like, ha ah, yeah, chuckles and awkwardness and whoa, what? You realize like that's one of the most obvious things that anyone could say. In fact, like of all the things that you and I have in common, and I'm sure that there are a lot, the one thing that we all share together is the inevitability of death. As we prepare for baptisms this morning, I want to remind us of what we're baptizing these people into. I want us to remember what we also were baptized into. I hope to remind you that you were baptized into a profound hope. A profound hope. This is our year of hope. After several, like, really challenging years... Right, and I'm talking about it like it's all behind us and we're all great now. But that's like precisely the point. Um, we don't need hope when everything's all great. It's, it's one of the reasons why optimism, like uh, not like optimism in the sense of you have a, I don't know, a, a cheerful disposition or you tend to see the good in life and not the bad. That, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the, the toxic type of optimism that looks at a terrible situation and goes, I know it's actually good and here's why. Or you just can't see, but it's all gonna work out in the end. Like that sort of like positivity that doesn't do us any good is the enemy of hope. For many of us right now, we're seeing the things that we knew for sure several years ago are suddenly not quite so sure anymore. Simply like things like the the amount of money in our banks or the security of our job or like the job we thought we were going to be doing for the rest of our lives. Or like even more profound and important things like the, the faith traditions that we grew up in, that we know and love, that shaped us, that showed us who Jesus is are suddenly like not what we thought they were. And many of us have been beat up and wounded and scarred and exacerbated over the last several years. 
And I think coming out of this and even in the midst of this and in the face of this, we have something that can offer us actual and real hope. Not something that erases those things, not something that makes those things go go away, but like in the midst of them, we can have hope. And it's something more than just a cheerful disposition or optimistically going, well, you know, God has a plan. And it starts with what we've done with death. When when we talk about this like cheerful disposition, this, this toxic positivity, Uh, this looking at a terrible thing and somehow saying that it's good, I think nowhere else in the world do we see this most clearly than in death. We talked a little bit about this last week, but like in, in so many Christian circles, we have taken funerals and exchanged them for like, we call them like graduation ceremonies. We've taken like grief and mourning and glossed it over and called it a celebration. We've taken death and we've said, oh, well, no, really, death is actually a good thing. It's an ally. Death is our friend. We welcome death. No, absolutely not. And I think we do this because in some really alarming ways, American Christianity has abandoned our true wellspring of hope. And so this morning, I want to do two really simple things. I pray that we together can embrace these two realities. Number one, that the hope of resurrection is in fact what is on offer in the work of Jesus, that Jesus will bring us back from death. And number two, that this hope radically changes the way that we live. And so first, the hope that we confess in baptism is in fact the hope that Jesus will bring us back from the dead. We see this clearly in Paul as he addresses the reality that Christ's death has sufficiently dealt with our problem of sin. As he asks and answers a rhetorical question, Romans 6 verse 1, we'll put it up on the screen for you. If you've got a Bible, feel free to pull it out. There's some in the seats in front of you. You can grab that and follow along as well. We're reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. We switched them up. Um, Lots of translations have their strengths. Lots of translations have their weaknesses. There is no, like, the best translation. So we like to use different ones. Verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So we talked about this a little bit last week. Christ has died the death that we deserve because of our sin. And so Paul rightly asked, well, like, so then we're off the hook, right? Sin has no more power to, uh, over us. Sin has no more, like, consequences. So we've got grace and more grace and lots of grace and free grace. So I can just go, like, do whatever I want, right? I can live whatever type of life I would like, and it's all good, right? And Paul goes, no, of course not. Are you hearing me? When Christ died, you died. So how can you continue to live in your old way? Verse 3, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And so Paul begins to explain how we are unified with Jesus in our baptism. 
That, that what happens to Jesus happens to us. That when Jesus is crucified, in some sense, he is enduring the crucifixion and the death on our behalf so that his death is counted and considered as our death. But then in the same way, so also is his resurrection. So Paul goes on. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so this unification in Jesus, Jesus being brought back to life from the dead, it is, in fact, something that impacts us in as consequential a way as his crucifixion did. In other words, if we are united with Christ in his death, then we are also united with Christ in his resurrection. So that if his death is actually and truly doing something for us, then his resurrection is actually and truly doing something for us. It's not just like a nod or God's like pat on the back and attaboy, good job, son, way to go. Like, no, no, there's something actually happening there. And this resurrection is doing something for us on two levels. The first is, right, uh, this is probably not the right word for it, but it's the easiest one, so we're going to use it anyways. It works for us on like a spiritual level, uh, an interior level, and I, the re- Sorry, side note. The reason I hate to use this word is not because it's a wrong word. It's because we all already have a false sense of what it means to be human in this dichotomy of, well, there's material and there's spiritual, and those two things don't share anything at all. And so we should focus on our spiritual self and don't worry about our material self when what it means to be human is spiritual and humanity entwined and knit together, inseparable. Inseparable? Inseparable. That's the one. But I'm going to use the word anyways. We're given a spiritual resurrection. And and the scriptures use all sorts of metaphors to describe this. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were blind, and now you see. You were sleeping, and now you were awake. You didn't know, and now you understand. You were in darkness, and now you're in light. Something changes. And so in this sense, resurrection begins now. We experience this life now. Jesus does something in us and for us right now. So that there is a moment that is pictured and symbolized in our baptism. When we go down into the waters, we go into the grave with Jesus. And when we come out of the waters, we come out a new and resurrected creature. The old man is dead. A new man rises up to newness of life. We are made alive in him in a spiritual sense. And our baptism depicts this. And this is probably familiar to a lot of us, but resurrection is not only spiritual. In the same way that Jesus' death was not only a spiritual death, it was a real, actual, physical death. His resurrection is not a spiritual resurrection. It is a real, actual, physical resurrection. A dead human being who was Jesus of Nazareth came back to life. He went through the full human experience of death and was really and actually raised to real and actual life. Not pretend life, not spiritual life, not a metaphor for life, like his memory goes on and on in our hearts. He's actually and really alive, bodily, spiritually, humanly. 
And so our hope is not actually just a spiritual one. It is a material one. We are hoping in a real and actual resurrection. Listen to Paul again, verse 5. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We will be raised in the same way that he was raised. And so if we are not going to experience an actual bodily resurrection, then that means that he did not experience an actual and bodily resurrection. He never came back to life. He's still rotting somewhere in a tomb. That's problematic. This is our profound hope. Johnny Cash clung to it. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Look at y'all, y'all have me singing up here. (laughs) Death does not actually have the final say. We will experience life again. So in the United States, uh, there's been a perversion of this Christian hope. This one right here. We have abandoned material resurrection for spiritual escapism, which on the surface feels like, ah, yeah, but eh, what's the big deal, right? We're splitting hairs. No, no, no. This profoundly impacts the way we go about living our lives. It profoundly impacts the way that we understand the mission of the church. N.T. Wright has perhaps written one of the most important works on this modern era. I recommend anyone and everyone read it. It's accessible. It's easy to understand. And he explains, wait, how did we get here to 2022, like spiritual escapism? And in that, he says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to take them to heaven, but instead to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, he says, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so our narrow understanding of the work of Jesus, that Jesus has come to excuse our bad behavior so that we might be enabled to somehow live in his presence without him whacking us, right? Has somehow taught us that the point of the gospel is like, whoo, thank God, I'm not going to exist in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. That the good news is a negation of a thing and not the reception of a thing. The good news is something that we've escaped and not something that we're inheriting. And we're convinced because of this that salvation is merely spiritual. And so we abandon feeding the poor. We don't care for the sick. or stand up for the marginalized, or care about the climate, or work to free the oppressed, or stand up for racial injustice and inequality. Instead, all we need to do is, quote, just preach the gospel. Don't feed them. Don't clothe them. Don't free them. Don't support them. Don't love them. Just preach the gospel as if the gospel has absolutely nothing to do with our human physical reality. That's a problem, my friends. So the gospel has somehow been perverted into this. Human has a spiritual problem, and the solution to our spiritual problem is a spiritual solution. Is Christianity devoid of resurrection? 
But Jesus did not just spiritually rise from the dead. No, he actually got up. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, took a rotting and bloated corpse that was decaying under the weight of death, and he breathed life back into it. So that Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, went down into the depths of death and came back and rose again so that he can say, I will give life to you also. Paul calls him the first fruits of resurrection. And this fact has given me more profound hope than perhaps any other fact in our story as Christians. Because Jesus doesn't just teach me how to be a good person. Jesus doesn't just show me that, hey, hey, you've done some bad things and that's cost some people, but there's like forgiveness and love and restoration there. You know, Jesus shows me that so many of the ones I have lost, I will hold again. I will see again. I will embrace again. I will see the smiles on their faces again, physically, bodily, really. This is powerful. Why are we not talking about this 24-7, nonstop? I don't know. Maybe even leave some room to believe that our pets will be brought back, right? (laughs) The world matters. Material stuff matters. And this hope changes how we exist within the world. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Look at Paul in verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also one day live with him. So in the in-between, when you've been freed from sin, but you've not yet yet experienced the fullness of resurrection, you can live a different type of life in hope. Verse 9, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And Christ will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also. Consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. The hope that we confess in baptism, that of a real, material, bodily resurrection is a hope that changes the way we radically exist in the world. Because now nothing has a claim to us. We are truly and actually free. When we believe a gospel without resurrection, we stop caring about the world in material ways. We abandon an ecological imagination. Rather than filling the earth with light and peace and love, we pursue hatred and violence and nationalism and racism and seek power to dominate them over us, right? But maybe more personally, and we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but we lose our vocation. We get up on a Monday morning without a resurrection and we're just like trudging through the day, trying to go get another paycheck or trying to build our own kingdoms or trying to like work our way out of loneliness or like whatever it is that we're experiencing. And we, like, 
uh, not intentionally, most of us, we end up leading these like self-centered and selfish lives that are like devoted on us and protecting us and instead of seeing our careers as ways that we can bring heaven to earth, that we can show glimpses of life amongst death, light and darkness by the power of the spirit of, of God who dwells in us. So as we prepare for baptism, I wanna leave us with a few final words from N.T. Wright. I want us to reflect on these as we celebrate these new baptisms and in turn remember our own. Wright says this, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it's going to die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for your body. What you do in the present by your painting, by your preaching, by your singing and sowing and praying and teaching and building hospitals and digging wells and defending clients and campaigning for justice and writing poems and caring for the needy and loving your neighbor as yourself will continue on into God's great future. And so our task in the present is to live as resurrection people between Easter and that final day with our Christian life, both corporately and individually in both worship and mission as a sign of Easter and a foretaste of heaven coming down to earth. This is our calling. This is our hope. This is resurrection. Lord, will you be with us in our resurrection? Will you bring our hearts and souls to life in ways that are real and meaningful and important? Will you grant us the power of your spirit to give us eyes to see and hearts to love you and our neighbor? We cling to this promise that the ones we've lost will not stay lost. We cling to this promise that one day when we go down into the earth, we will not stay there. We cling to the promise that you are making all things new. Will you give us this hope? Will you inspire us with it? Will you encourage us with it in the face of all circumstances? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.